Welcome, everyone, to the Midfield College Film Society. I'm Jeff Crawford, and I'm joined by my society members, Mr. Robert McSwain. How are you doing tonight, Robert? I'm doing just fine. I got my coveralls on. I got a nice big cup of Irish coffee, set of spanners, and an acetylene torch handy, just in case the podcast starts to come apart down the stretch. So I'm ready to go. <laughs> Gotta watch out for that Irish coffee. It hits you hard quick. We'll go to Mr. Michael Crawford, my brother. How's it going tonight? Very good. Very excited to hit the road, put the rubber to the road with the Herbie saga. This is the start of a, a long journey. We are setting off. It's a very exciting night. And we will uh, start with our patient, Mr. Andy Brown. How's it going, Andy? You excited for this? Yeah, I see what you mean by saga and why you guys are so excited about this. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting one to talk about. And I have a feeling it's going to go pretty long, so we'll just throw it right to Michael. What are we watching this week? This week, we have the 1969 Disney classic, The Love Bug, produced by Bill Walsh, directed by Robert Stevenson, written by Bill Walsh and Don DeGrady, that whole crew, the Mary Poppins crew. AKA it's a dream team. Dream team, uh, based on a novel by Gordon Buford, starring Dean Jones. Michelle Lee, David Tomlinson, Buddy Hackett, and Joe Flynn. Uh, Jeff, this this movie has music by George Bruns. Yes, and we've got the uh, Walter Sheets on the orchestration. This was a team that worked through a lot of the 60s and some great music to come. Absolutely. Some really iconic brunzing there. Uh, uh, Michael, we have to have a moment for Dean Jones here. I mean, he's your guy. He's our he guy. Is, he is our guy. He's, I'm, I'm always excited to talk about, I mean, Disney legend Dean Jones, after all, uh, and no, rarely cooler than in this, in this movie, <laughs> in attitude correct. and wardrobe, <laughs> yes. in haircut and in driving style, in gum chewing and everything else. Um, it's funny because Dean Jones was like, like he was the icon actor for me growing up as a kid. Like if I saw him, like, oh, okay, this, this is a Disney movie. There's no question yeah. about it. Oh yeah, I think I said it was probably on our other podcast that I said that when I was when I was a kid, the two like twin pillars of my youth were Harrison Ford and Dean Jones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're they're both. What do you mean of your youth? Well, of I mean, I'm I'm underplaying it a little bit. Obviously, <laughs> it's a, it's a stayed around, but uh, man, yeah, it, always excited to see Dean pop up. I think I think this was my first Dean Jones. Uh, flick. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. So okay. I mean, I mean I, he, he, million dollar duck is on its way someday. So <laughs> <laughs> it won't be your last. Well, it it's won't be your last. Yeah, sure. there, we, yeah. we did. What about the ugly Dosh? Uh, Dosh? Oh yeah. What was that? What was We've got to do the, that one. The ugly Dosh. Yes. Yeah. Must yes. do. That's that's that was a core element uh, of Jeff and mine's canon. Uh, yes. So, yes. yeah, this was a movie. It was originally called, uh, going to be called Boy Car Girl, which I believe is the name of the book upon which it was based. Uh, it's really one of the last movies, although it came out, uh, it premiered about two years after Walt died. It was one of the last movies that he had sort of creative input on and kind of got off the ground, even though it took a few years to come out. Uh, it was the biggest U.S. box office hit of 1969. 
Oh, and yeah. the number two Disney film to that date behind Mary Poppins. So it was a big hit. It had three direct sequels, a short-lived TV series with Dean Jones, a TV remake uh, in the 90s with Bruce Campbell, in which Dean Jones also appeared, <laughs> and a film remake with La Lohan uh, the decade after that. So this spawned a franchise. That's right. This is part of the Bill Walsh dynasty. He was the most prolific or the most lucrative director before George Lucas, right? Uh, Robert Stevenson. The Robert Stevenson. Yes, that's right. Bill you. Walsh was the producer, was a also a prolific and very successful producer. But yeah, Robert Stevenson, before George Lucas came along, he was the guy because he just made all these Disney movies that just made a ton of money. So uh, very successful. And this is, you know, the production team, the cast, we have a nexus point of a lot of Disney films and we'll see that through the Herbie franchise. So I encourage people to look up photos. We'll, we'll tweet some, I'm sure of uh, Herbie day at Disneyland, which they had to promote this movie with a ton of different uh, Volkswagen Beetles in all like hippie regalia parading down main street. So it's, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty good stuff. Excellent. So as we discussed in our teaser, Andy, you have seen none of the Herbie movies, correct? You're correct. I have never seen any of these movies. So I am, uh, I don't know. I mean, I've seen this one obviously, but, uh, I guess that kind of sets the ground for what to expect for the future. Now that you've seen this one, can you give us a non-spoiler reaction to it? This, Movie was great. Boom, we got him. No, for a while. And then it took a turn. There are some parts I loved the era. That was, you were, when you're talking about how cool uh, Dean Jones was, there was so many cool things. I mean, just this time period in San Francisco, there was so many cool things, but, and and the (laughs) racing and all that kind of stuff. But as far as the movie itself and the storytelling, I've got some qualms. Okay. Well, Shall we get into it, boys? Let's do it. Let's go. Swing that checkered flag. Let's get going into Herbie the Love Bug. We'll start off with Act One, and Robert, you have the helm. We are met with our old friend, distributed by Buena Vista Distribution Company Incorporated, with some spirited music, and one of the greatest opening credit sequences in cinematic history begins as old cars (laughs) from the 1940s, 50s, and 60s run around a figure-eight track just missing one another. I must say that really makes me kind of want to go back to one of those races and see the insanity for myself, but... Um, I've never witnessed a figure eight race. I've seen a demolition derby before, but well, uh, I, my question from this uh, is what what kind of a race is this? Because uh, it's, it's a figure eight race. So I mean, I eight. thought of a demolition derby like as we would used to see at the Cleveland County Fair. You would see shout the out Cleveland derby. County Fair. Yes, um, this is it's barely a race. It's mostly a demolition derby. 
Yeah, and that's the whole point. Like I've seen them do them with school buses a lot. Like they'll they'll put oh, wow. school buses in a figure eight like that. See, uh, <laughs> see Cars Three, where they have a school bus in a figure eight race. That's right. There. When when I was uh, in high school, my father worked at a truck driving school in uh, Eastern Tennessee, and we we'd get free tickets to Taswell Speedway <laughs> in Taswell, Tennessee, and it's known Taswell. as the world's fastest third of a mile dirt track, and. <laughs> That's really specific. <laughs> yeah, it is really specific. But man, oh man, this immediately brought me back to as a kid going to those races. <laughs> and the people you'd see. Yeah, yeah. We start seeing some some wrecking here. And, uh, and there's one scene where, like, the cars are, are, you know, they're flailing all over the track. And uh, and it, one goes up on a hill and, like, almost takes out a bystander. Like, you see some guy who's sort of like, I mean, I guess he's a maybe a judge or a, an official but he's like running for his life in one scene. I don't know if you guys caught that or not. No, it's was too caught up in the that. chaos. There were a lot of guys though, like standing right close to the track. Yeah, they were like right down there. He, was, he this guy was up sort of up on a hill, like watching, like right there near the figure eight, and one car goes up and he just makes a beeline out, out of frame. And I hope he's all right. Um, and I pretend to be a gearhead, but my father, who's a legit gearhead or a petrol head for our British listeners. Uh, would be able to identify most of these cars um, just by looking at them. But uh, I'm watching it, and just it kind of makes me cringe a little bit as the, the Bel Airs and all these like classics go by, and just getting just wrecked. Yeah. So after countless wrecks and automotive mayhem, car number four B or was it forty eight? Maybe it, it was kind of hard to tell. It rolls over and on top of its roof and out walks or out crawls our hero dean jones with a great audio cue i might add so we cut to the first of many amazing backdrops that are are stunningly realistic and impressive as (laughs) dean is riding in a car his character's name is jim we find out and they're riding through the streets of san francisco and in the background we see the bay and man in the car who I presume is, is his sponsor is telling Jim that he needs to hang it up. He's too old to be a driver and all these young guys are much better than him and he just needs to quit. His, his sunglasses are right on time. Oh yeah. And Jim is yes, wearing some really sharp wraparound sunglasses that are uh, look and mimic a lot of the sunglasses that I've seen our producer here, Jeff, wear in his college days. I, might <laughs> I wish. So. I wish I had some that, that dip. <laughs> and we discover that Jim is down and out, and more importantly, out of cars. A key component to being a race car driver, Jim is dropped off at an old beat-up engine number three building in San Francisco, and we get another amazing backdrop. Um, Michael, do you have anything to add to the backdrops? Like, who painted these? Like, the set design here? Because it's... It's the like, uh, there were several people credited. The one that sticks in my mind, who probably did the paintings themselves, is Peter uh, Ellenshaw, the goat. Who, who, yeah, the goat of the Ellenshaw family of uh, matte artists who were like mad geniuses and who worked on everything. It, it's uh, it's his work throughout. They get a lot of mileage out of that. But I also find it's interesting. They also do a lot of location shooting in San Francisco, which yes. is un- unusual. They do backlots in a couple of spots, so it's really all over the place. But, man, it makes me wish that every movie was based in San Francisco. It's just such a cool place. The backdrops and the 
scenery is such a part of yeah, this movie. It's a, it's a crazy city. Yeah, I agree. I'll note here that uh, he's dropped off in a late 60s first generation Mustang in royal blue, which I really dig. And it's going to be one of the many amazing vehicles throughout this movie. So as Jim gets out, we see that his home is going to be torn down and to make way for some new Marina View apartments. That's progress. So <laughs> Jim pulls a gnarled up bumper out of the Mustang and hands it to his buddy in the side yard who happens to be Buddy Hackett who's an amateur scrap metal artist, Buddy, <laughs> a.k.a. Tennessee, is trying to talk Jim out of racing as well. I've met this guy in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, for sure. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of in Carborough. Uh, this firehouse set is pretty iconic as well. It's a, it's a nice little uh, slice of time. And I would totally live there if I could. That's, like, that's awesome, like how, how they have it set up. So Jim is looking to find one more race. He goes out to get Tennessee's Edsel, the quote-unquote beast, only to find out that Tennessee has chopped the beast for one of his art projects. Got to have an Edsel joke in there. And he says the Edsel's going to be happier up on his uh, art than uh, where it was left. So without a job and a car, Jim goes out looking for answers in the streets of San Francisco wearing an, an outfit Again, straight out of Jeff's closet circa 1999. <laughs> Man, I wish. I mean, this is what I was always wanted to wear. I I noted a lot of his outfits. And so I will say he's wearing an orange turtleneck, a yeah. suede blazer, and a prominent belt buckle. I mean, very nice. Look. Very, you got uh, pretty close. And I'll, I'll, I'll add a story here because Jeff is the guy that wore a trench coat and an outfit similar to this to, the, to Mannequins, the nightclub at Pleasure Island, once with me. <laughs> Circa 2002. That was his outfit of choice that night. It was just a trench coat. And this, like, Shout out mannequins. And, and you stood in the middle of mannequins. Just, like, it was one of the more surreal moments of my Disney World uh, life. Was that. Everything is surreal at mannequins. Yeah. <laughs> Rotating dance floor. Uh, yeah, it's very kind of bullet era Steve McQueen. His yes. look in this, yes. So why? Okay, so why is he friends with Tennessee? That was my question because Tennessee seems like is this artist who said he went to Tibet. So I wonder what's the connection there. Yeah, that is what I wonder too. Like how they met up because I mean we Tennessee is like full bore hippie. He tries to give him like seaweed to aerate his liver. Mm-hmm. He's been to Tibet and like spoken to the llamas and all this stuff. Um, I, I, I would love to know their origin story. Right. It's a definitely, it's an odd couple pairing. Well, it's San Francisco. So let's write up a prequel to it. Let's get it going. There's a funny (laughs) Disney obsession with the counterculture, like in this era of Disney (laughs) that pops up in a lot of movies because they were clearly like that. I mean, they were the most like super straight edge, like white guys ever at Disney. And it's clear these crazy counterculture hippies. And so that really comes through big in this movie. Well, it's funny you mentioned like a prequel. Like I, I, I put that later in my notes somewhere that I thought they needed to do a, a, a prequel backstory on Tennessee, just just on him being in Tibet. Yeah, we <laughs> got Disney Plus now. We can do the Tennessee Disney Plus uh, limited yeah. series. He's he, he mentions it throughout the movie like multiple times. Disney Tennessee, yeah. <laughs> and it becomes a, a a major plot point later on in the movie. That's his true. his time That's in true. Tibet does so. 
Jim's attention is suddenly stolen when he sees a nice pair of legs hanging a sign that says, may we direct your attention to these. (laughs) He tries to peer around the sign only to, to be startled by the lady who invites him in. Inside, we see a luxury indoor car dealer that specializes in British cars. So nice. However, Jim is taken by a car on a rotating turntable and we're introduced to the salesman who who is played by the legendary David Tomlinson, who calls the car a Thorndike special. I mean, you may be talking about him, but what drew me was Michelle E. (laughs) I was like, whoa, hello. Your attention was drawn. Yeah. (laughs) As advertised. Absolutely. That sign worked on me. I'm, I'm going to have to take aside the detour here and put my history hat on. And I don't, you know, Michael, maybe you've already researched this, but I found out some interesting history about the Thorndike special. I like to add. Go right ahead. So now as a kid, I thought this was a Jaguar E-Type, which is a car that I like really love. And, uh, so I started digging around on it cause I was like, it doesn't look quite like an E-Type. So I thought maybe it was a modified E-Type. And I found out that it was a short lived car company called the Apollo car company that was based in Oakland and they only produced 88 cars from 1962 to 1965 and um, they uh, never identified this car as an Apollo so I can only assume that it was just supposed to be a Thorndike special um, and a fictional car but it actually was an Apollo car and they made uh, two of them for the movie so uh, in 2004 a gentleman was bidding on a frame for an Apollo got it and it was a 65 apollo 5000 gt was was the model they built he bought it on ebay and um and according to the uh article i found on (laughs) barnfinds.com he got it home and started stripping the paint off of it noticed it was yellow so as a being that they only had 88 cars they he started thinking okay how many yellow cars they make and then he started noticing that there was a lot of dents and dings and bang like the car had been in a wreck so he started going that's weird he said, you know, they used one of these in the movie, Herbie, uh, or in the, uh, the love bug. And he watched the movie and noticed that a lot of the, 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 the dents and bangs were, you know, lined up with what happened to the car in the movie. And he thought, this is crazy. This can't be, there's just no way. And, uh, and then it was confirmed after he found it, uh, and, uh, talked to some people in the production and found out that the car was in fact, one of the two they used in the movie and he decided to restore it fully back to the way it was in the movie. So it's still uh, in around. And it's uh, like broken was... state. No, he's got it back to fully <laughs> restored now, but, um, uh, as it was there on the, in the showroom and it looks, it looks really cool. Very nice. Wow. Man, this showroom is, is what got me. I have to say, uh, that I just wanted this to be a place where you could go in real life and like, Maybe it's a bar at a Disney theme park or something, but that'd be great. Well, speaking would, of bar, he's got a nice fold out yes, bar. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes it's really cool. nice. So really, cool. really nice. I love the little turntable the car's up on, and Jim's mm-hmm. like so taken with the car, he just gets up on the turntable. But yeah, everything about this place is great. Thorndike opens his uh, bar up, his uh, collapsible bar, and pours Jim a nice, expensive drink, and. Uh, Begins to talk price about the Thorndike special. Jim says he has about $75 to put down, to which Thorndike was not amused. However, the sales lady 
Hat does take notice and is amused by all the uh, interaction between uh, Mr. Thorndike and Jim. And as he, uh, Jim turns his anger towards Thorndike, a 1963 Volkswagen Beetle with rag top rolls into the showroom and bumps into Jim, much to the disgust of Thorndike. So I, I'm, so I'm a big fan of top gear. And, uh, I thought this was interesting because in the Jeremy Clarkson version of top gear, they had a running gag on the show where they, they, they claimed that the Volkswagen was the worst car ever made. What? And, uh, I thought it was interesting that uh, that Thorndike also despised the Volkswagen Beetle <laughs> and, <laughs> and began to kick it and um, and take out his anger on it. Uh, to which Jim is not amused and stands up for the car. Yeah, you don't treat a VW like that, man. That's right. How how did Herbie get in the showroom again? Because that's I didn't. Well, actually like he happened. let himself in. Spoiler. Yeah, he opened the door yeah. and walked, came in. Yeah. See. Okay. But uh, what I was, I guess, I, what I was wondering was, uh, is this a, is the British uh, sentiment towards Volkswagen Beetles? Is this a British thing, or or is it just a Top Gear thing, um, or is it a post-war British thing? I don't know. I think it's way. a uh, below the standard of the Thorndike dealership. Okay. You consult our grandparents' uh, Volkswagen book with a bunch of comics. <laughs> it's like an anthology of comics about Volkswagens making fun of them and how small they are and how efficient they are. Comedy gold, man. So the sales lady, Miss Bennett, informs us that the car was recently returned after having some difficulties with the previous owner. Jim leaves the, uh, the luxury dealership in disgust, and on his way home, we see a white beetle following him as he hops onto a trolley and rides home. I may add, he lights up a cigarette, which I did not yeah. remember. Shocking. Yeah, I know. Shocking. That, yeah, they didn't even typically do that in Disney movies. But uh, yeah, yeah and, and live on location on a real streetcar, too. That's right. And how did Herbie escape this time? Hey, man, he's got his way. Watered out, man. Yeah. He's like, <sighs> man, you guys, you're like, your love of this movie just glosses over all of these plot points. Well, I mean, no, who's going to stop him? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Listen, if you find that hard to believe, these next few movies are going <laughs> to blow your mind. Yeah, you got a long, you got an uphill road. <laughs> if Herbie getting through a door and, uh, you know, and escaping well, I mean, ownership is uh, problematic for you. <laughs> we're sticklers on other movies and their plot points and making sure, you know, they things happen as they should. And so then when this kind of stuff happens, it kind of, I can tell sometimes you guys just gloss over it and I'm like, oh. I'll give you the first one, but I mean, the, gar- the garage door could have been open, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. nobody's like keeping an eye on cars to make sure they escape. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Keep an eye on that beetle. He's been trying to get out of here all day. I, I, I guess that's a fair point. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to me, the weirder thing would be like, how does he know Jim is in there? How does he know Jim is in there and he wants to meet up with Jim? That's one thing. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I could see him just like taking off from the garage. And I mean, they may have been chasing after him. Who knows? (laughs) Hey, where are you going? I think we should examine every plot hole in this franchise because it's going to be great. Yeah, we need to do a really deep dive, I think. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be exhausting, but it'll be fun. Yeah. It's just a su- suspension of belief, I guess it's, it's fair to say. And just enjoy it as a movie, right? Enjoy the romp. Okay, I'm with you. Uh, can we also talk about, I'm sorry, uh, her, the Herbie Foley effects? 
of like Herbie like thinking and like reacting to things. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> the next morning, the police have arrived, and the detective is wanting to know whose white beetle is parked outside. And Andy, did you catch who the detective was? It's the nutty sailor from Boatnicks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That is right. That is Mr. Joe E. Ross from Boat Nicks. I was very the proud nutty, of myself. The nutty sailor. Off hey, duty. He's like wearing he's a suit. going to be real disappointed not, if you missed that one. No badge. Plain clothesman. He's, he's up in the force. That's right. Jim points out that he saw the car yesterday at a dealership. The detective tells him he's being charged with grand theft for taking the car. At the Thorndike dealer, Jim and Thorndike are having it out again. And they agree that Jim will buy the car instead of pressing charges, and Jim is mad. Is this a is this a normal kind of policy where they're like, <laughs> "You've just stolen the car, but we'll let you buy it if you want." I'm gonna buy it. <laughs> it feels like kind of like a Seinfeld plot or something. <laughs> it does. <laughs> he decreed that he has to be my butler. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to interrupt with the uh, the wardrobe update. He's got the green turtleneck swear- sweater, a tan overcoat, and plaid pants. Man, I'm I'm really jealous of his wardrobe. The overcoat killed me. Oh, I was yeah. like, that is cool. So nice. Yeah, I did dig that. I think that was my favorite was the overcoat that he had there. So Jim is mad. He's feeling like he's being forced to buy a car he never really wanted, even though he needed a car, but whatever. On the ride home, Jim discovers the Beetle isn't a normal car. The Beetle refuses to go or to get on the freeway and causes quite a stir with one driver yelling, what's the matter? Are you from L.A. or something? <laughs> that was good. The no. uh, driver of that car. Be- First, we point out the love of freeway jokes from this era. Yes. They love freeway jokes in general. Uh, but that driver was a Disney legend, Wally Bogue. Yes. A.K.A. Oh. Uh, AKA many things, uh, Tiki room involved and Pecos bill with the golden horseshoe review and many other things. So a little cameo there. And he's really given, I mean, it's like a point of emphasis where it's like just a still moment. So they're really putting the spotlight on that gag. I, I want to go back and give a quick shout out to Jimmy McDonald, which I'm assuming Jimmy, Jimmy McDonald, the Foley guy from Disney, uh, did, most of the sound on this. I don't know that for sure, but uh, there is so much great Foley work and it starts with the uh, oil spill on Thorndike in the uh, dealership. (laughs) 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 And shout out to the Herbie theme, which makes its kind of debut when he's, when they're driving around a great, great soundtrack uh, from George Bruns with the flutes and the guitar. Uh, I could just listen to that forever. It was really weird that they didn't come out the gates with that. They just, uh, they saved it for then. It saved it till he hit the road. We also get our debut of the trademark Jim Douglas driving style. (laughs) His steering technique, which is uh, uh, difficult to emulate in real life because you would kill yourself, but uh, fun to watch. All right, now, Michael, you spent some time in L.A. and the West Coast. Uh, what's the sentiment among SoCal people and the Bay Area folk? Because the joke about him being from L.A., I thought maybe it was a. Oh, that was that was spot on. That was that was a, like a total California joke that what like 50 years later is still completely accurate. But that's yeah, what, that's what I figured. No. Like San Francisco people think L.A. people are like barely civilized 
lunatics. So <laughs> it pans out. So Jim brings the car back to Thorndike, and a, we get a cartoonish wreck as Herbie <laughs> slams in the front of Thorndike's <laughs> Rolls Royce Phantom uh, Five. How'd they do this, Robert? Another great car. How'd they do that? Yeah. I have, I, I have no idea. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's, it's, Andy, was it good? Did, 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 <laughs> you want to talk about plot holes? I mean, I think uh, slamming into a phantom like that is. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I just suspended my belief after Herbie made his entrance and exit. Okay. <laughs> That's one of the effects that, kind of makes me laugh every time because it's like super fast and he just bounces right off of it. And I don't know, there's just some, I mean, I guess when you have a studio of like X animation people, it's easy to do gags like that and make it pay off, but it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. So I got a question here. So Miss Bennett is dressed up and heading out to dinner with Peter Thorndike. So what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. What's going on indeed? Yeah. I had that question as well. Did not make sense because it seems like I couldn't tell if they were an item or if Thorndike was kind of, you know, like her sugar daddy or something like that. I don't know. It just did not make sense. She seemed real sweet on Jim earlier. Like she was like eating what he was serving. And, um, yeah, it's weird. I, I think as a kid, you just always accepted it because it's like the bad guy is always, in like eighties movies, it's always the bad guys dating the girl and then the good guy takes the girl away from the bad guy or whatever. So you just kind of accept it. But like watching it now, it's like, that is odd that they would be going out to dinner like that. And I think Jim later even calls it a date. He's like, so yeah, your date yeah. or something yeah. like that. So, and it's she a gray didn't area. say, no, it's not. A, yeah. It's a gray area. Professionally, very suspect. <laughs> It's kind of like yeah. the uh, the Bond hench- or the Bond villain who would have like a pretty girl, and then all of a sudden, that's, right. that's oh, that's Bond totally what that is. <laughs> that's totally point, why yes. I didn't even think about it. That is absolutely right. She's totally. the Grace Jones to uh, Christopher Wolf. <laughs> 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 hmm. Also said in San Francisco. I mean, it, right? it fits yeah. perfectly. The Miss Ben agrees to take uh, the car. For a drive to see what the issue is, we found out that Miss Bennett knows all about Jim and his racing issues. She has trouble with names and faces, but she never forgets a car. A couple of kids roll up in a chopped uh, Model T hot rod and want to see uh, if that doodle bug uh, needs a workout. Or I believe actually the direct quote was, Dad, want to give that doodle bud a, bug a workout? Yeah, I love this. This was great. <laughs> this is the first of the counterculture scenes. Wonderful. Some severe wigs yes. going on already. They love hippies. <laughs> hippies are the funniest thing in the world to them. And this movie's full of them. And so this is where you get a little sneak peek of the back lot because they did these close shots on the back lot. Yeah, that was funny to me because, like, the racing stuff was outside in San Francisco, but the close-ups were back live. Right, yeah. All this, all the wide shots are from San Francisco. It's pretty brilliant. The Beetle takes off, blows the hot rod off the road, to which the kids take a bow at the end. And <laughs> as we pointed out, we get a great hippie moment, but there's more of that to come. <laughs> The Beetle won't let Miss Bennett out of the car and takes them all over town, pulling up to a drive-in diner. 
Oh, it's one of the best scenes of uh, Disney cinema here. <laughs> the Beetle refuses to let Miss Bennett out. And in truly, as Jeff was getting ready to point out, truly one of the greatest cinematic scenes in history. I stand by that. Miss Bennett pleads with the patrons next to her to let her out, yelling, help, I'm a prisoner, I can't get out. And Jeff, would you do me the honors to quote this scene? Yeah, they say, we all prisoners, chicky baby. We all locked in. <laughs> I think I texted you guys when I got to that point, and I sent yeah. an image saying, this. these might be my favorite two characters so far in all these Disney movies you guys have made me watch. This was These were great. And he like turns to the guy Guinevere. I mean, that was Guinevere. Yeah, Guinevere. His friend. <laughs> a couple of weirdos, Guinevere. A couple of weirdos, Guinevere. Now, I read that that was actually Dean Jones as the yep. hippie. Yeah, that I never Dean knew Jones that. As the hippie. Oh, oh I didn't know that either. That's crazy. Yeah, that's him. That's, he's got like kind of a fake nose on, but yeah, that's him. You can definitely tell it's somebody that's disguised. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We. We also get this omnipresent lady who's the drive-in waitress. Yes. The actress's name is Iris Adrian, and she's probably been in stuff we've seen already. But she I think always she was in Boat Next like, too. I probably yeah, oh, and as this it. sort of like crabby old lady figure, and she pops up into a ton of stuff. Well, I love that they go to this drive-in against their wheel. They will they can't get out of the car and they're arguing and then uh dean or jim douglas still makes the order and it's a baller <laughs> order he says two hamburgers and a coffee which, yeah tip of the hat man yeah <laughs> right on time that was so cool and she just puts the menus on their windshield i mean that was just so awesome uh-huh and they pay, i mean he must they must stop and eat the hamburgers because later he makes a joke about the hamburgers so apparently it was <laughs> a, uh, you know they they stuck around so the beetle lets miss bennett drive again showing her that the car is in control not jim she wants to prove this so at seabreeze point they pull up and begin to argue some more uh at this point jim gets out of the car and they start arguing as herbie follows them down the pathway only to be confronted by a cop who begins to berate them for letting their car roll off without having his parking brake in um, I can't remember how they why, why they walked away at that point, but they break they walk away. The cop uh, agrees to let them go, and we turn around with a nice gag where the cop's car has rolled into the water because he didn't pl- put his car in the in wah, uh, brake wah, on parking wah. brake on. And, and they're ducks. Kind of odd cop. <laughs> He's kind of a weird guy. He's kind of a gentle, dense, a very Mayberry kind. Yes, of guy. totally. It was not just Mayberry. It was like return to Mayberry. Like thank you, five <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank you for the return to Mayberry shout out. Now you got incompetent five. <laughs> <laughs> Vote for Ben Woods. <laughs> oh, that's great! Really good. I'm happy. Back at the firehouse, Jim is under the hood, and Tennessee is spouting Eastern philosophy from his time with the monks. I didn't expect that kind of like those deep thoughts from uh, Buddy Hackett. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Buddy Hackett's pointed out, or, or Tennessee's pointed out, that we take machines and stuff, and we stuff and stuff more information before long. They start uh, thinking more than we do. That's pretty super deep. It's uh, yeah. a little uh, 
predictive too. I mean, it's like a little smart technology. It's true. Yeah. That's a great monologue for our society today. As a matter of did, fact, did you guys, did anyone notice there's the staircase knob is in the shape of a mushroom. You may notice that. Hey, I did not. <laughs> right. Counterculture yeah. stuff. Yeah. San Francisco. That's right. This firehouse is another place I'd like to be in real life with the, uh, the gas tank fish filled tank. with fish. Yeah. yeah. That's great vibe. Yeah, that's a nice touch. Little little hippie touch. Oh, and, and uh, Jim Douglas thinks that Herbie's behavior is easily explainable because it's a result of an advertising gimmick. <laughs> yeah, I put that. In, I put in my notes that like Jim trying to justify Herbie's behavior, saying it's like some weird mechanical issue, is insane. Yeah, and then even more insane is that it's advertising it's an advertising gimmick. <laughs> yeah. It could be lots of things. It could be a, a you know a stuck rotor or a yeah. this or that or an advertising gag. But he clearly uh, the main thrust is he thinks it's a mechanical thing, right? Yeah, and Jim's kind of a jerk. Oh a yeah, bit. a little is. bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Jim notices that the Beetle does have quite a bit of speed and he decides he's going to race it. And as they cruise around town in the Beetle, Tennessee decides to name it after his uncle, I believe, who was Herbie or Herb, the boxer. Got that Herbie theme going on. I could watch that B-roll of Herbie driving around San Francisco to this theme all day. Put it on Disney+. Plus. Herb- <laughs> A little zen. Yeah. <laughs> Just zen. It could Herbie be part of the Tennessee show. Yeah. Yeah. So we get our first race at Jack Rabbit Springs. Herbie is dominating. Miss Bennett is looking on, starting to take notice of Jim and Herbie. <laughs> They're having a hilarious little picnic on Pit Row. It's like, yes. yes. got Crystal and they're like drinking brandy and they have a bunch of fruit and <laughs> cheese. <It's- laughs> that racing cinematography was excellent. I mean, just yes. watching how they just. They just cut all that together, and, and the way they shot that, it was just beautifully done. And the thing, yeah. they have a, a couple of nature shots at the beginning too. They, <laughs> I was gonna say, I, I'm my head canon is that uh, George Lucas based Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull on uh, <laughs> the shot of the uh, the uh, prairie dog or whatever at the start <laughs> of this, since that's how he started off uh, Indy right. Four with that shot. You mean Steven Spielberg? Oh yeah, well yes, Steven Spielberg. I don't know. I it was goofy, so I, my mind went to George Lucas instead of Steven Spielberg. Sorry about that. Yeah, hard, you were correct. It's hard to throw Spielberg under the bus. <laughs> exactly. My brain like had a block, refused to do it. Yeah, totally. So Jack Rabbit Springs is actually Willow Springs International Motor uh, Sports Park, located north of L.A., and was used in the movie Ford versus Ferrari along with a whole bunch of other movies. But I noticed it in Ford versus Ferrari. I thought that looks like the same racetrack they used in that movie. So Jim is taking all the credit and not giving anything to Herbie. As they win the race, Peter wants to buy the car back. And Jim again is taking the credit and considering selling it back to Peter because he's a great race car driver. Now he won a race. He doesn't need Herbie. It's not Herbie's not winning those races. Miss Bennett convinces Jim to race Peter at Riverside International Speedway, another L.A. track, and the winner of that race would get Herbie outright. I will also have to mention this race marked the premiere of Jim Douglas' gum-chewing technique <laughs> yeah. as he drives his aggressive, aggressive gum-chewing technique. Uh, so that was a little, a little hallmark. 
to Disney I, first. I also want to say that he says after the race that he was beginning to think I would be anything more than a piston happy lead foot punk. That was a good line. Good line. Yeah. That's a good line. <laughs> Why? I did have a question. Why is Thorndike a racer? Because that is a good showroom. question. I was confused by that as well. Like, I could see him being like an owner. And yeah. well, an owner or even some sort of snooty European racing, but like this, like crazy kind of wild California dirt track racing mm-hmm. doesn't seem like his, like he would be interested in that. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about, about this later in the, in, in the, my notes here, but I'll go ahead and mention it now. So like, I remember going back to top gear, uh, that in the sixties, this type of racing was really popular all over the in Europe and it was making its way to California at this time. Oh. Um, so it, it was just, you just grabbed a car and went out there and raced it. There was no sponsors. And if there was a sponsor, it was a really low level. This, you know, the, the gas station down the street would, would sponsor you or the car dealer, the independent car dealer would sponsor huh. you. Or uh, the Asian and, grocery store. Or the Asian grocery stores. <laughs> it may turn out later. Uh, but they, uh, there's two trains of thought. You either, you, you got a European car or you got a big U S muscle car. Uh, because the muscle car could take the straightaways and just tear it up, and then the European car could go through the turns, and um, so you'd have these all these little European roadsters, and then you'd have these Corvettes and these Mustangs and Camaros out there, which you saw a lot of on, on the track. And yeah. I thought, which I thought was interesting. Would the, that context would the audience in 1969 have been aware of that, and which would have made Herbie being in these races that much funnier? I would think so. It was really popular, evidently. I mean, uh, back then, um, it's obviously it's died off now. You don't see that kind of thing, except at like smaller dirt tracks. But the, um, I mean, and, and it's I mean, we mentioned Ford versus Ferrari. It was that was what they were doing in that movie as well, and the, which also took place in the '60s. Gotcha. Hmm. In the race, Tennessee tells Herbie to sandbag until the last lap, at which time he signals for Herbie to go, in kind of a really goofy. Buddy Hackett kind of way. He's holding a sign. It says, you know, go Herbie or something to that effect, but he's, he's delivering it in true Buddy Hackett fashion. Thorndike tries to block Herbie, but Herbie passes him squirting oil in his face as he goes by with again, some Solly, Solly Foley work. Yes, exactly. That's a good gag. <laughs> Thorndike always getting something on him. A montage begins showing Herbie winning over and over at Laguna, at Monterey, at Las Vegas, and at Tular, I believe was the name of the, the, the race. Uh, we're greeted with headlines. Uh, we get a headline that says, which is weird, and then, uh, maybe it was more of a context thing at the time, but it says, Douglas Carr will not run at Indy out of technicality intake too small, says officials. So I... I to me, I, I could have cared less if he ran at Indy. I don't. I didn't think that was really relevant, but uh, they threw that in there for <laughs> some right. reason. It's probably because that's the race that everybody knows. Yeah, it's the so race. It's like, oh, yeah. he even got big enough where he oh he tried to go to Indy but couldn't. Yeah, because it was on the front page of the newspaper. See, they're so covering wild. plot holes, Andy, right there. <laughs> uh, that's not covering plot holes. <laughs> that's lazy. Plot holes. So since they can't race at Indy, they do the next best thing, and they go south of the border to Tijuana. Oh, my gosh, this. Yay, yay, yay! We haven't been racist yet, so it's time to get racist. (laughs) The big road race. 
And why is Thorndike racing in this one? I didn't understand that either. That's a He's great been in, question. Some of these, some of these class. I mean, even like the uh, the what the Jack Rabbit uh, Springs race. He was it was too small for him to go to that one. But uh, international. Maybe he was he was chasing uh, Herbie. He wanted to beat Herbie. He was obsessing over it. Maybe that's what it was. I liked the two Mexican racers making fun of Thorndike. Um, do you guys yeah. catch that? One of them, I don't know if you, you guys noticed this, but one of them was, uh, have you ever seen the movie Rio Bravo with the John Wayne oh, and heck yeah. Dean Martin? And yes. Uh, uh, one of those guys was um, uh, Carlos, who is the inn owner right. uh, in that movie. Yeah. Yes. I can't remember his name, but I saw it in the credits. It's a memory. It's like Gonzalez, Gonzalez, something yes. Gonzalez, Gonzalez. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is like a weird cartoon. Yes, this is bizarre. The guy standing there in the dust after the cars leave is like something from a Ward Kimmel cartoon. The chicken flying at the car, like somebody off screen throwing a chicken in like Thorndike's face or whatever. Uh, The sped up mariachi music, the school bus. Oh, yeah. They got to throw in every uh, every Mexican stereotype they can into this short little area of time. Like the drunken people heckling. They just needed a bull racing down the road. <laughs> Thorndike is racing in what appears to be like a Jaguar D-Type, which is an extremely expensive car and makes absolutely no sense. First of many very expensive cars that he races, besides the Thorndike special, uh, which makes no sense why he's racing this car, which is an open-air car in a dirt environment in Mexico, but Whatever. But not only dirt, like off-road, like yeah, they're off-road sand dunes and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it looked like Mad Max. Much better yeah. for the school bus. <laughs> that one pan shot across the desert does look like Mad yeah, Max. Yeah, so then I right. So they have the bizarre moment with a movie. The racers. It's clearly a bunch of little tiny model cars that they're dragging across. Yes, and they're moving like a a uh, a prop in front of it, a mountain, and they're sliding it by the camera. And then, and then the the mountain covers up the cars. So you just see this big cloud of dust going by. It's very cartoonish and very clearly fake, and it it was jarring, but it still made me laugh because of how bad it was. So I enjoyed it. Um, but can anyone else explain that <laughs> better than that? I mean, that's no. I just like that it ends with uh, their victory photo, and Herbie's wearing an enormous Herbie sized sombrero. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, he's got a huge Herbie sombrero. Let me tell you, if you enjoyed this scene, you'll love Herbie Goes Bananas. That's right. Coming up soon. <laughs> so as we point out, Herbie wins. Thorndike is humiliated yet again. And that includes a lengthy explanation of Act One. <laughs> wooden cart that uh, Thorndike's getting <laughs> like the with the solid wooden wheels right. they're not even like spoked wheels it's like caveman <laughs> cart so beginning with act two back in San Francisco Thorndike is agitated he's convinced that Douglas has done something to the car maybe he's b- made a bigger intake I'm not sure uh, Carol suggests <laughs> he's become obsessed and needs to forget it Thorndike suggests for Carol to get to know Douglas at the very moment that Jim calls Carol to set up a date. 
That works out pretty well. So back at Jim's, he's spiffed up, ready to go on a date. Still don't understand their relationship. It's still maybe is James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is messed up because uh, Thorndike's like asking her to do a Notorious, like uh, Alfred Hitchcock, right. uh, like right. Ingrid Bergman in Notorious, to uh, you know get with the opposition a little bit, and uh, it's it's kind of weird, weird uh, employer suggestion. That's right. It's a different time, I guess. But back at Jim's, he's spiffed up, ready to go on a date. Carol picks him up in the special, taking off Tennessee that he is not driving Herbie. So immediately, once the two are off on their date, Thorndike shows up to pay his respects to Herbie. <laughs> now, is Jim, is that the same suede sport coat from earlier, or is this a I, new one? It looks like the same one, but, you know, he could have a whole closet full of them. Who knows? I need to give uh, Emily Sun, Sundby, who was a costume designer for this movie, a shout out. She did costumes in Gus, in Boatniks, Freaky Friday, The Computer That Wore Tennis Shoes, and of course, the cat from outer space. <gasps> Yay! There it is. A lot of good <laughs> costumes there. A lot of good costumes. She was on. She was on point in this movie. It was Tennessee prepares Irish coffee uh, by heating up the water with a welding torch. Thorndike proceeds to try to figure out what's under Herbie's hood. What's been changed? Did you hear uh, Tennessee's line when he's doing that? What What did he say? He, he says, uh, gloves." Yeah, always have asbestos gloves when you're making coffee this way. Yeah. Uh, Maybe not anymore. (laughs) So we get this whole back and forth between the date and uh, Tennessee and Thorndike back at the firehouse. So on the date, Jim is falling harder for the car Carol is driving than her. He says, this is how it ought to be, me and these kind of wheels. And without (laughs) a real car, I'm only half a man. Yikes. (laughs) That's great line. He has no <laughs> self-awareness. Uh, back at the firehouse, Tennessee is getting ripped on this Irish coffee. And Thorndike is doing the old switcheroo where he's acting like he's drinking it. But he's uh, he's pouring the Irish coffee and some added whipped cream down the gas tank. And he hops up and down on Herbie for added measure. Sugar in the gas can, Robert. It's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it'll do it. <laughs> Back at Seabreeze Point, where they go to make out, Carol and Jim uh, run a gag where they can't start the car and get out again, but this time it's all about the moves. And, <laughs> and Jim has the weirdest line where he says, when the light hits you just right, you're as beautiful as General Grant on the $50 bill. <laughs> what is that? I had that in my notes. I said, you smoothie, Jim. Like you can That is an odd compliment. I, why a $50 bill? That's a good question. Why not, I mean, why not go for, I mean, uh, U.S. Grant, more handsome than Ben Franklin, but just go for it, man, oh, if you're in. True, true. Back at the firehouse, Tennessee is barely functional. He tells Thorndike that the secret of Herbie is heart. Thorndike thinks this is all gibberish, but at last we are at Riverside, the big race. Thorndike is confident he will win. You know, he put the Irish coffee in Herbie, so. And all is well, all is going well for Douglas and Herbie until Herbie starts uh, experiencing difficulties. <laughs> And we've got some uh, high, high octane foley work here, Robert. Yes. 
Well, I was going to point out here that uh, another car reference here that Peter uh, appears to be driving a Ferrari 250. So if you're not a gearhead, that's an extremely rare and expensive car from the 60s. And again, where is he getting these things? Are you just yeah, pulling these cars off a of showroom floor and racing them? Or, but yeah, it's crazy. Okay. But what about the sounds? The sounds are also crazy and amazing. <laughs> some next level sound effects yeah. going on here. Yeah. It's uh, some bubbling and belching noises and some crazy. Yeah. yeah. There's a little effect where uh, he almost jumps through the cloth roof. Cloth roof. So um, t- <laughs> Tennessee orders them to come in. As Herbie drives by, he just belches out a big bubble of foam out the exhaust. <laughs> and the uh, Tennessee knows exactly it's Irish cream from the uh, taste because you got to lick the yeah, uh, the foam that jumps on you. <laughs> of course, that's always a good idea. Uh, Herbie breaks down to an amazing array of sound effects and wacky wheel effects. You know, his wheels this, go sideways and with the stuff. crooked wheels, like the stagger stagger leg wheels is so great and the way they stage his like final collapse where he like goes up against like the rail and like his bumper falls off just at the perfect moment that is so well timed oh, yeah. it's great so are we to assume that herbie's had like five cups of irish coffee at this point or is it just that one that we saw him pour in uh, no there was definitely more shown than that so yeah okay. i think he was just feeding him all night yeah okay because I was going to say, if he is, if it's just the one, or then he can't hold his liquor very well. Poor Herbie can. <laughs> At the Herbie parade you were talking about, Michael, do they have like a one that's got like kind of like drunk Herbie? Oh, I hope wheels? so. That would be the best. <laughs> yeah, hose so with cool. drunk Herbie. Yeah, <laughs> or just as it goes down the parade, just kind of got the wobbly wheels. They should have a drink dispenser like stand that's Herbie, but it comes out as like tailpipe. It's the the, the Irish. <laughs> cream <laughs> or if you need whipped cream yeah it shoots it out the yeah tailpipe. <laughs> like had a herbie espresso machine or something it was thorndike celebrates his victory he won the race uh, herbie blows irish cream all over him as he's loaded <laughs> into the truck this is another that i mean a, a dumb sight gag but so well timed so well played <laughs> it wasn't peter like brushing off like the beautiful women there too yes, as well yes he couldn't be bothered like I don't even know how they got, how they did that. Those perfectly, perfect splotches, just like straight up his middle. Good stuff. <laughs> Back at home, Tennessee says Herbie has a fever. Carol shows up, says she's not with Thorndike anymore. Everybody, what does that mean? Hmm. What does it mean? Hmm. And uh, Tennessee begins to tell Carol all about Herbie. And she manages to fix Herbie, cleans the fuel lines out, and uh, Douglas comes back in a beautiful new red Lamborghini. Robert, you know what kind this is? This is a Lamborghini 400 GT, of which they only made 23, which is about to be 22 in a minute. Wow. He says he needs something that can cut it. And he's got to stop kidding himself. He needs a big, powerful car. Claims he made some changes to Herbie and did a little good little bit of country driving. So he's really in denial here. That's a total jerk. Uh, I got to call out. There's a nice little bit of business when uh, after Tennessee gives uh, Carol the like lecture about Herbie and being real. And uh, she does a nice little thing where she kind of goes to like 
pet him kind of and like doesn't, but it's just kind of like, well, this is weird. It's a fun little, I don't know. It's just, just a fun little bit of acting there that I always yeah. really like. Cause she's like thinking about it and like, is like rubbing him down and then get, kind of goes to pet him and stops herself. It's fun. She's going to become a believer though. So Thorndike calls with another offer from Herbie. Jim accepts. He's calling from his car phone too. That's he? right. That's right. Tennessee is very upset and Carol gets upset as well. She's now drinking the Herbie Kool-Aid. She believes it. My question is Jim knows at this point, cause you can tell by like what he says, he knows that Herbie was sabotaged. So why is he mad at Herbie? He's got that denial, man. Well, I mean, ego, ego, this you're talking about, you know, his character being Jim being kind of a jerk. I, it's been a slow descent. I think he, he's starting to turn for me because here in a minute, it's he, he's going to go full Heisenberg. Yeah, uh, it's, it's part a, of it's darkness, man. And, yeah, yeah. And, and so more and more, you just kind of see it. You're like, wow, this guy's. You, you just kind of stop pulling for him. <laughs> so Herbie's right. Jesse. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Tennessee's got the uh, blowtorch and all <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say Tennessee. It might be Tennessee. So uh, Jim accuses Carol of going out with him. So Thorndike could sabotage Herbie, like you said. Him and Carol get into it. She tells him he didn't win any of the races. That was Herbie. And around that time, a noise is heard outside, and Herbie is wailing on the Lamborghini. So, guys, what <laughs> did you think about this scene? I mean, that's Ooh. not cool, Herbie. It's murder. That's dark. It's well, so dark. It is, it is dark. super dark. That's what I'm saying, and like man. later, there's a shot of like oil on the curb. It looks like a crime scene. <laughs> That's right. Well, it is. <laughs> it's murdered. Murdered that GT, man. Yeah, straight up murders him. <laughs> Jim hits Herbie with a shovel. So that's another dark, dark moment. In a fit of rage, he says, of course, Herbie is jealous because Douglas gets all the credit for winning the races. Ah. So he believed it the whole time. Now everybody's on the Herbie plane. Everybody's like, uh, yeah. Thorndike shows up. Thorndike doesn't seem to notice the destroyed Lamborghini in the background. It's just completely oblivious. <laughs> but he's like, this seems like as good a time as any for me to show <laughs> right? up. So he's like, I can tell something's going on, but blah, blah, blah. Douglas throws him up against the wall, says... He believes it too. Thorn he says Thorndike knows Herbie's sentient. And Tennessee says, Herbie, don't believe in you anymore, Jim. And Herbie is gone. Gonzo. Driven off into a map painting of the night. That's right. He's not gonna help you because this is a private thing between the two of you. Good luck. It's very formal. But uh Jim is off in the foggy streets of San Francisco to find Herbie. This is quite the segment here. Yeah, this is amazing. Like the amount of work that goes into these sets for just five seconds is mind blowing to me. So we've got Thorndike. He's calling his people to put eyes on the street to find Herbie. Jim is running around the rainy streets. Herbie is driving through alleys, running into walls. It's kind of like Herbie's drunk. You know, he's I like there's that shot of him like in an alley kind of like leaning against the brick wall right. like he's like down and out hobo Herbie. That's right. <laughs> he's just like, I'm just a bum. <laughs> Thorndike's people spot Herbie, tow him off. Douglas hears Herbie's melancholic honk. Uh, 
As he's getting towed off, he runs after him. He uh, mistakes a white Volkswagen with some people necking in it, which was a, uh, I always remembered that scene from this movie. I saw a really weird cut here. Like as Jim is coming into the alley and Herbie's leaving on the, on the tow truck, like there's a cut uh, and they, they cover it up, but you can see like the dirt on the ground kind of shift all of a sudden. So there was this weird like jump cut there that, that really, it, it, it caught me. thought it was just a, an odd production gaffe there. But uh, Back at Thorndike, some mechanics try and take Herbie apart, but he goes nuts and drives through the glass. They're like sinister garage goons. Yeah. They're like lit, like high contrast yeah. lighting, and there's, they're like uh, thugs. That Dick Tracy vibes. Yeah. Um, so we cut to what I assume is like a Chinese Lunar New Year celebration something. <laughs> Yeah, they were kind of vague on what was going on here. (laughs) It's a a parade at night, and we hear the marching band playing the Herbie theme, which I like that little (laughs) detail. I Uh, love that. Yeah, I wrote that down. It's like, well, this does not sound like Chinese or traditional Chinese music (laughs) to me. Yeah, they play like college fight songs (laughs) during the Chinese New Year celebration. Anyway, uh, Herbie is hiding underneath the Chinese dragon. Which is amazing. It is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Uh, Jim yells at him and Herbie drives off knocking down a column of a market. Leading to some racist stereotypes of Chinese storekeepers. So we're in it with this crew. Seems strange to have such an angry Chinese shop owner. Very, very angry. (laughs) Back in the fog, Jim looks for Herbie. Seeing him at last drive onto the Golden Gate Bridge. Can I just say that Jim must be in really good shape you know, to be jogging all say. over San Francisco? Because San Francisco, here. like I walked around San Francisco and got real tired just from it's a it's a hilly little place. He's just from one end of the town to the other, from oh, Chinatown yeah, to Golden Gate Bridge, following a car. That's not easy. But that shot though, when he runs into the fog, yelling for Herbie, that was a beautiful shot. It is. You're beautiful. right. All good Before stuff. That. But yeah, when he heads towards the bridge, I wrote in my notes, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah. Well, I said, I I wrote, like any good family, fun family film, Herbie goes to kill himself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we see that Herbie is indeed trying to end it all on the bridge. Trying to off himself by driving off. Uh, I, I wanted to say that I think that they should have a little screenshot of this at the Walt Disney Family Museum, which is uh, overlooks the <laughs> Golden Gate Bridge. There's a big room that looks out upon the bridge. They should have a picture of that. <laughs> I was thinking they needed, instead of in the, in the old backlot tour, when the, when Herbie would make his appearance, they should have had him like try to jump off of a bridge in the backlot tour. <laughs> so yeah, Herbie's trying to end it all, guys. I mean, what in the world is going on this is this is like high drama man (laughs) i did not expect this because it's kind of been goofy and silly then all of a sudden it took this very dark turn dark (laughs) very dark that's what i'm saying i was like what the hell so when we were kids we watched herbie rides again a lot and herbie goes to monte carlo a lot and we didn't watch this as much and sometimes i forget about this part and i forget about the lamborghini especially and when i watch it again i'm like oh my gosh i forgot about this part it's so disturbing Oh, cars, man. You know, they're just like us. Herbie, Herbie's got some issues. He's got some 
Jim's got some upper body strength, though. He can fly off the handle. So uh, Jim grabs him and in trying to save him, slips to the front bumper. So Herbie has to drive off the bridge to save Jim. I tell you, this is pretty nerve wracking, though, because the effect is pretty good for the era. And because there's like a boat on the water down below going along and he's hanging. I mean, he's got the upper body strength hanging from Herbie's bumper. It's pretty wild. I love that when he's trying to save him, he says, come on, baby, it's going to be a beautiful day tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great line. Oh, man. (laughs) So uh, the police arrive. One of them says, it looks like the car saved his life. And the other cop says, I think you've been put on that hate Ashbury beat too long. <laughs> wah, wah. That's great. Uh, the young cop who thinks he saw Herbie save uh, Jim is Pete Renaday. Hey. Voice of Henry the Bear at uh, the Country Bear Jamboree and voice of many other things as well. There we go. And with that, Act Two comes to a close. So it is that we find ourselves at the police impound garage, where the Chinese shopkeeper from previously and his assistant are going from car to car looking for a horn that sounds like Herbie's. Herbie's iconic. And uh, eventually they do find him, find a dried squid inside as proof that he is the one who ran into their stand. Uh, all to the strains of an orientalized Herbie theme. Right. Uh, which is a nice classy touch. Uh, they tally up the damage on an abacus, of course, yes. and yeah. deliver the bill to Jim. He says he can't pay the damages. He, he has no money. So the deal here is they're going to impound the car and auction it off to pay off the shopkeeper. Uh, and then we get a scene. Uh, Tennessee says that he taught English in Tibet, which is funny because who would let Tennessee teach English? Prequel, man. We he, need the prequels. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, he wants to talk to the guy in Chinese to try and reason with him. So we get Buddy Hackett speaking in comedically <laughs> exaggerated Chinese. Uh, yeah. I have I don't know Chinese, obviously. I have no idea if this bears any resemblance to actual Chinese. Mm. Or I would be interested to know if any of it was even trying or if it was just him being ridiculous buddy hackett I, being ridiculous yeah. i noted yeah. the same thing though yeah i was like this i said uh, buddy hackett speaking chinese is odd and uncomfortable yes yeah yes it is yeah so in chinese he explains herbie to the guy uh turns out the guy is a racing fan and he recognizes herbie he's got a newspaper in his pocket with herbie on it uh but now he wants to keep herbie uh jim says that's fine but he's he makes a deal if the guy lets Jim drive Herbie in the big upcoming race and he wins, uh, the Chinese guy can keep the prize money, but he has to sell Herbie back to Jim for a dollar. And the, uh, you know, trademark inscrutable Chinese man previously says, now you speak my language. And everyone has a good laugh. He spoke English all along. Ah, mm-hmm. See, boat nicks for the same gag. 
Classic, yes. classic <laughs> gag. So we cut to the El Dorado race where a very uh, non-actor person, Wait, what? a, a person who, that is? who I have been long obsessed with. Well, according, I had look it up, is named Andy Granatelli. Yes. A racing guy and spokesperson for STP. He was the CEO of STP. He was the. Uh, I had I had never heard of this person before. I had just known him from this, and it amuses me every time. It's amazing. It's very security guy at the uh, Mouseketeers at Walt Disney World. It's like <laughs> so abstract about racing and true racing. It's like what is happening here? He calls it like technical mamby pamby or right. something. Like that. Well, I'll, I'll add that he's a he's a huge deal. I found out like he's his nickname was Mister Five Hundred, and he was the CEO of STP, and he is credited for bringing major sponsorship to auto racing, and he was the first one that team up with Richard Petty and gave him the STP, uh, you know, uh, sponsorship, and ushered really? in the whole huge era of of major sponsorship in the stock car racing. I'm and, Richard uh, he is, Petty. He's, <laughs> And he's in like uh, I think he's in three or four of the racing hall of fames, and uh, I, I, I thought well I, that must be why they got him because he was evidently he was very well known. Uh, yeah, especially if he had been a spokesperson as well as like a CEO, it, he would have been somebody that people recognized, I suppose. At least yeah, he was racing very people up, would have. very flamboyant. Like he would wear these STP suits at at the Indy Five Hundred and make like and like it was real out there and crazy looking all the time. So. He's not very flamboyant in this. Yeah. Uh, here he he's the guy who's laying out the rules for the race. And as we said, he says, instead of all the technical namby-pamby <laughs> that there's so much of today, uh, this race will have few rules. As long as you stick to the course, anything goes. So that sets the stage for shenanigans that follow. Uh, after the briefing, Thorndike approaches Mr. Wu and tries to butter him up a little bit. Uh, he wants to set a bet on the race. So they randomly step into a phone booth to talk, which I thought was odd. Uh, Mr. Wu points out that Thorndike was the guy who came up with the idea of small print on car contracts. Another auto innov innovator, Robert. Yes. He invented small print. It's a wacky gag. It's, it's poking fun at society's foibles. Uh, anyway, they start to make a bet. We don't know what it is, but we cut to the starting line. Tennessee is telling Jim and Carol that Herbie was so beaten up after his escapades that uh, Tennessee had to cut the frame to straighten him out, and then he's hoping the whole thing holds together. Uh, there's really no word on what precautions Tennessee took when undergoing massive surgery on a sentient car. I don't know what that would look like. Sorry, Herbie. This is going to hurt. Uh, also, briefly, just stepping back just a moment, the the Chinese proverb stuff that Mister Wu is spouting. Oh man, yeah, that's that's pretty rough too. Yep. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it's like every scene there's a Chinese yeah. proverb. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, Haversaw, who I don't think we've mentioned, Haversaw is Thorndike's like toady. <laughs> Perfect name, Joe Flynn. Joe yeah. Flynn. Was that the was that the guy from Absent Minded Professor? He was in computer oh, yeah. war tennis shoes as the That's, dean. Gotcha. Medfield College. Medfield Connection. Yeah. yeah. Um, Thorndike strolls over to make fun of the Herbie crew and the fact that Jim Carroll and Tennessee will all be riding in Herbie in the race. 
Uh, his line, is this the morning bus to Fresno, I thought was really <laughs> funny. Uh, Jim says, well, the car is so fast it takes three people to hold it on the ground. Which uh, I don't know what Tennessee is really bringing to the race because he's <laughs> like kind of dead weight. He's not really a mechanic. He's got a huge like acetylene tank, which <laughs> <laughs> has to be weighing Herbie down. But that's Welding okay. assistance. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's all really all he's good at. And yeah, that's his thing. He's, he's not even good at that. Yeah, he's not even good at that. And then he makes a, a really bad mechanical reference later in the race. Yeah, well, he says he's not a mechanic. He's just a dude. Uh, meanwhile, Haversaw the toady has been messing around with Herbie, and Thorndike delights in their evil plan. So we don't know what they're up to, but Haversaw's been tinkering around. Uh, the green flag waves, and the race begins. Uh, Herbie starts to catch up with Thorndike. Uh, Haversaw pulls a James Bond and dumps a load of oil on the road, causing Herbie to spin out. But Thorndike, stupidly, is so distracted that he drives his own car into a mud pit where a bear begins to crawl into oh, the car. Man, man this set, Bear though, gag. I think I, I saw the Duke boys, you know, oh, yeah. being chased by Roscoe on all this and jumping that pond. Yeah, there's a lot of action here that takes place at the Golden Oak Ranch, which was Disney's yes. like offsite facility to like film, uh, film backlot stuff, like countryside stuff. And man, you can really see it here. Lots of gags. Uh, Herbie, meanwhile, is driving through a meadow and they do the thing where he skips across a large pond like a skipping rock. That's a fun gag. Jim chews his gum and seems nonplussed by all of these shenanigans. Uh, as they're going along, they splash Thorndike with mud, and as he's unable to see, mistakes the bear, which has climbed into his car, for Haversaw. I'm all here <laughs> for this. I'm all for it. This is really see, great. It's losing me here because, all right, it's already been silly enough with Herbie, but then this only took it to the next level of silliness, I thought. It's so ridiculous. This is really ridiculous. <laughs> uh, he thinks, and he's talking to Haversaw. Of course, his face is covered with mud. He uses the bear's arm to wipe off his goggles so absurd. as he's driving. Uh, and he, he finally bothers to look over, and the bear is sticking its head through a map, which is great. And uh, uh, he just passes out as the car drives off into the woods. <laughs> and there's a shot the bear's trying to wake him up because yeah. he's in the driver's seat. <laughs> And the car is like weaving through trees at high speed, and the bear is like nudging him, trying to wake him up. Oh man! Uh, finally, it stops, and the bear and Thorndike both take off in opposite directions out of the well, car. How do they get the bear to look back? Because they both turn, pause at the same time, both look back at each other, and then run. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and and the effect of the the bear arm. I mean, it reminded me of the wampa arm, and you know, and yeah, yes, Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I mean, it's basically the level of, like, somebody in a gorilla costume in, like, a Marx Brothers movie or something. I don't know. Like, a, a, giant, a giant stiff furry paw sticking in from off camera. But uh, then the bear is real the rest of the time. It's something else. But then, most importantly, Gary Owens shows Gary up. Gary Owens. That guy. Oh, just like a cool drink of water, Gary Owens shows up. <laughs> He's like the Robert Goulet of announcers. Oh, yeah. That's a Robert perfect. Goulet. That's perfect. 
Uh, he's doing the race announcing now. He says, Jim's in the lead. Thorndike has picked up Haversaw and is close on his tail. Says they're all approaching the old mining town of Chinese camp. Mm. <laughs> uh, back on the road, Team Herbie discovers that Thorndike has replaced their gas with water. And as they sputter to a halt, Thorndike speeds by. <laughs> laughing maniacally. And every time he goes by, they he honks. And it's really yeah. intense, and it usually like blows them over. Which yeah, also oh. gets me every time. They're like, I'm gonna get him good. <laughs> uh, as they're attempting to figure out how far they are from Chinese camp, uh, we hear mystical Oriental music mm. as like a dozen Chinese guys in sweatshirts show up to carry Herbie away on a stretcher because Uncle Wu sent them to help. So, we're in Chinese camp. Thorndike's fueling up at the slowest pump in history, which also makes a gong sound every time it rolls over. <laughs> uh, it's wrong, but I laughed. It's, it's wrong, but I laughed. I laughed, too, because it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, there is an ancient Chinese guy in a ball cap and bow tie manning the pump, and an even more ancient guy, his father, who's got, like, a Fu Manchu beard, Sitting yes. in a chair, pumping the gas. Um, Isn't, and they have a slogan on the back, don't they? Yes. Put a dragon in your tank. Is that a take? Wouldn't, didn't Exxon have something like that? Like Put a tiger in your tank. Yep. Yeah. So this was a fun little racist riff on that. Wow. Uh, Thorndike is furious, not at the stereotypes, but at how slow it's going. And the Chinese guy gives him some proverb in pidgin English about how hurrying is bad. Uh, but just then, Herbie shows up, and like 20 people, some in coolie hats, uh, rush out to service Herbie in sped-up motion. That really and cracks me up. It's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's super silly. The wheels on the gas pump for Herbie spin around, gong a-blazing as they refuel him. That's like a pit crew, but even more intense. Uh, Thorndike tries to pull away to follow Herbie, but his car has been chained to the ground by the old Chinese guy. And then that's when we see the back of the man's overalls. Tang Wu's quick service. Put a dragon in your tank. Oh, thank you for that. Uh, Gary Owens gives us an update on the race, saying Thorndike is again catching up with the field. He speeds by Herbie so fast that it knocks Herbie on his roof, and he spins down the road. <laughs> Honk, man, it's deadly. <laughs> it is. Uh, we get some more racing footage as the cars wind through the mountain roads. But oh no, Thorndike is tampering with road signs and sends the Herbie crew and some other cars the wrong way through the <laughs> lost Bonanza mine. It's like wacky races now. This is yes. turned into. <laughs> yeah. They pass an extremely animatronic looking prospector mining. Yes. Uh, which looks straight out of the Calico Mine Train yes. at Knott's Berry Farm, yes. I have to add. I just thought that was funny, though, that the the miner doesn't pay the cars any attention. It just keeps on yeah. doing his job. Baller move. Yeah. Like a bunch of cars follow, and they're like swooping around the mine on like three different levels. And the prospectors <laughs> just keeps working. He's yeah. just still chipping away. Oh, it's so weird. Uh, Team Herbie eventually piles the car into an old mine elevator, kind of tipping him tip him in on his side and uh thorndike's taking a break to prematurely celebrate with some champagne he is pulled over and is enjoying himself <laughs> uh when herbie comes speeding down a hill from the old mine and thorndike takes off in pursuit 
Havershaw at this point has arranged for one of Herbie's wheels to come off. This is very The Great Race to me, uh, the Blake Edwards film, The Great Race. Uh, so Thorndike gives Herbie a nudge, and sure enough, his wheel comes off, which almost sends Herbie careening over a cliff. There are not a lot of safety measures on these mountain roads. No. Whoa, no kidding. The shot yeah. of the wheel going off the cliff really cracks me up. It's so long, and... Yeah, it takes forever. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the second wheel. This is the first wheel oh, goes right, off the right. steep cliff. Oh, right. uh, then we get some bits of business as Jim tries to pull Tennessee uh, into the car before it tips over a cliff. And when everyone is safe, they discover that Thorndike has sabotaged their spare tire as well. Womp womp. That was a good like stunt. that he cuts it into like pizza pieces. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, in Virginia City, the end point of the race's first day, a crowd awaits the racers. Uh, Thorndike makes it in first, and then much later comes Herbie. Uh, with the crew has lifted him off of his missing wheel uh, by having Tennessee lean out the passenger side while holding on to Carol. She's they're kind of using him as a counterweight, and they're going along the side of a cliff on two wheels, and he's leaning over the cliff, and he nearly dies. Yeah, that's it's, what I'm thinking of. That was a crazy stuff. How did they do that? I, d- I don't know. I mean, clearly they had a lot of stunt drivers, and it I don't know, just weird acrobatic stunt work uh, to get him up on the, up on his side, and then uh, you know they're hanging him out. Then they when they start to lean too far, it's like they're all going to go over the cliff. Then they yank him back into the car. It's pretty wild, and that's when Herbie loses another wheel, and it flies off the cliff with a weirdly extended take because Jim goes like running after it, and it just goes forever bouncing off. I said, "Who it's, is this stunt guy they paid to run off after the second tire and like face plant into the gravel?" It's intense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So night falls, Mr. Wu's waiting at the finish line while the broadcasters and judges leave. And then out of the darkness, Herbie appears with a huge metal wheel in place of one of his missing tires. I don't know where they got this wheel, but it's like old like mining equipment or something. Yeah. It's uh, pretty crazy. So uh, l- later that night, Tennessee's working on Herbie as Mr. Wu brings them some bird's nest soup because China. Uh, Herbie won't start, and Jim is depressed. Herbie's in super bad shape, like he is wrecked. And uh, Jim thinks, seems to think it's almost cruel to make him go back out the next day. Like he's ready to give up, and Mr. Wu agrees with a mystical Chinese proverb. So Jim goes off to sulk, and Carol joins him. They have a little talk about Herbie and the relationship between men and cars and how that is. And he had finally admits there's something special about Herbie, something that doesn't even have a name. He wonders why Herbie picked a loser like him. And Carol says Herbie must have thought Jim was worth belonging to, just like her. Aww. So they have a little smoochy. And Thorndike pulls up with a tow truck. And it turns out that his bet with Mr. Wu means that uh, whenever they lose the race, he owns Herbie. So now they're giving up. Herbie belongs to him. He gives a weird little monologue about who's going to have her be vivisected and destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of rough and uh, gives him a, a big kick. That's just mean. And uh, Tennessee um, makes an amazing noise when that kick happens. I was going to say this makes Tennessee make a noise <laughs> that I hope Jeff includes in this podcast yeah. right now. <laughs> it's... <laughs> indescribable yeah. so we're just gonna, oh. 
Jim gets in a little tussle with Thorndike, uh, and Thorndike's goons come in and hold Jim while Thorndike takes a sock at him. Free licks. And free licks, really. It's rough. It's mob <laughs> stuff. And this uh, this sets Herbie off. Herbie comes roaring to life, and uh, he chases Thorndike off, and then everybody kind of gives chase after him. Isn't Thorndike rocking an ascot here and a jacket over his coverall or yeah. something? Yeah, he's, he's fancy. Yeah, ridiculous. Uh, he's come to gloat in fancy style. Uh, they they finally catch Herbie after Thorndike like jumps over a fence into the woods, and uh, Wu says that Herbie has the strength of forty horses, and <laughs> which apparently he actually does in real life have forty horsepower. Uh, says it's time to get the egg Fu Young off their face because he's Chinese. So uh, yeah, so they're back in it, man. Uh, the next day arrives. And uh, everyone's lined up to race. Herbie is shaking and angry and tries to murder the Thorndike special before they can start. Herbie, man, <laughs> anger issues. Herbie Serious. is ready to scrap. He goes after the Thorndike special. And uh, I like the, the uh, I don't know, some official is like, watch it, Douglas. And you're like, one more screw up and you're done. They're trying to calm Herbie down. Uh, the cars begin to leave in the order that they arrived in Virginia City, and it's finally time for Herbie to depart. He has to wait around, like, forever uh, to leave. So he goes roaring off, and we're on the road again. Uh, Herbie takes all kinds of wild shortcuts through the woods to catch up how, with the pack. How do they shoot those? Like, I was watching that. I watched it several times. Like, he's cutting, like, yeah, they're cutting all these back, you know, switchbacks, and he's yeah. cutting through. And like crossing over, like, and it's you know practical as far as I could tell. Oh yeah, and, and and like the cars would just miss. I mean, the only thing I think of was they were slowed it way down so they could time it better. But and, it didn't look super sped up though. Yeah, I know. I, 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 it was very. I mean, the stunt stuff here was really good. Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, this is it's funny because in the opening credits it had the drivers and it lists like 40 drivers or something, maybe even more than that. Yeah, it's more than that. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how they, I would love to know how they did all this stuff because it seems super dangerous and like also getting a Volkswagen to do all the things that Herbie does like off-road seems nuts to me. Because they are going, like you said, the, the the racers are doing these switchbacks up and down cliffs, and Herbie's just cutting across and like weaving through the cross traffic and just going up and down these like this is out you know out west in the Sierra Nevadas or wherever, and uh, it's it's crazy. So how, uh, how many Herbie cars did they go through? How many Volkswagens? I wonder when they went through like during the production. Dukes of Hazard. They probably had an army of them. <laughs> they probably had more because they had the, like the stunt, you know, car like the ones that would do wacky things. So that's a whole nother. Yeah, they had, they had the, the, the hidden driver vehicles and all right. those. Yeah, yeah, there were a, there were a lot of them. I'm, I I've seen a number and I can't remember what it is, but it was a lot because each one would do like different specialties. Uh, so they, yeah, they're off-roading left and right, and they nearly catch up to Thorndike. Uh, then they pass through Whiskey City, where <laughs> they kind of demolish an old West town. Herbie's driving through buildings and running into everything, and uh, things are neck and neck. Uh, they're out on the road, and then Thorndike just straight up runs Herbie off the road, off a cliff. Straight up murdering, trying to murder him. <laughs> yeah, that is like, and it's. Yeah, Herbie I mean, had dark like, streak. Yeah. I will run you off a cliff and kill you. Uh, so Herbie runs off and lands in a tree, 
Uh, and then there's a, like a mini version of the Jurassic Park car and tree scene. <laughs> yeah, good, good call. And uh, Herbie finally falls out, which was a fun effect. And they just load up and take off again. Uh, Tennessee is worried that Herbie has done something to himself in that last fall and uh, that he won't hang together much longer. They peel around a curve where Thorndike and Haversaw have pushed an enormous log out into the road, like an enormous sequoia log. <laughs> and uh, they run straight into the log, which sends Thorndike under Herbie's hood. Uh, they drive off without knowing Thorndike is under their hood, only to discover his face in the glove compartment, yelling. So they stop and pull him out, and he does a weird little like monkey walk yeah, because that, he can't stand up. Another straight. thing that takes too long. It's like the monkey walk thing. They just ride it out to the end. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, back at Gary Owens HQ, the crowd is heading to the finish line. Uh, Douglas is in the lead, but Thorndike is catching up. Aboard Herbie, Tennessee notices that the floor is starting to come apart. He has Carol pull on one of those straps they would have inside VWs to kind of hold Herbie together while he tries to weld it back. She does, like a boss. Uh, but then the roof starts to tear, too, and suddenly things are looking rough. Uh, suddenly, the two halves of the cart yank apart, and uh, they're still connected by like the drivetrain or whatever, but are <laughs> separated. Uh, Jim tries to stop so that they can rescue Tennessee from the rear section, but Herbie won't stop. Uh, Thorndike tries to overtake the car, but Herbie uses his swiveling backside to block the car from passing. Uh, again, stuff that cannot have been easy to film. I don't, I don't really know how they did it, but they did. Uh, Gary Owens is waiting at the finishing line with some binoculars, broadcasting the final sprint of the race. And just as Thorndike is once again congratulating himself on his premature victory, Herbie's two halves tear apart completely. And Tennessee, who's in the rear section, overtakes Jim and Carol and goes speeding off. Thorndike is now in a race with both parts of Herbie. And as the crowd cheers, Herbie takes first and third place. What do we think of these? this set piece? I mean, just you describing it sounds so ridiculous. If no one knew anything about this movie and just heard what you just said, they'd be like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, there was a nice drum roll, though, when, they're, when, when he comes apart the first time. And uh, Tennessee's trying to, like, climb into the front seat. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to bail out. Extra credit for the Buddy Hackett uh, looks when he's, like, passing people. And just, like, yes. what is happening face. plus <laughs> A very good baffled face. And uh, I love after they pass uh, the finish line, they kind of do... This kind of the two halves do it like a big circle and finally meet and then like pile on top of each mm -hmm. other. <laughs> For some reason, I got that. You know, in uh, Last Crusade, when the airplane passes the Joneses while they're yes. in the tunnel. Oh, that, that dude's face! Yeah, yeah. It just reminded me of that. major Spielberg influence. Or absolutely, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's gonna find out that it he all it all goes back to Herbie. Uh, so we cut back. We're back in San Francisco. Mr. Wu has taken over Thorndike's showroom. Uh, Thorndike and Haversaw have been relegated to working in the garage for some reason. And uh, they, they kind of get in a tussle, spraying each other with motor oil uh, in frustration at their lowly state. 
Harshaw sprays oil down Thorndike's pants, which I always wonder if it was improvised because that, there's kind of it's a weird moment. And yes, I, 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 agree. I agree. I thought I, I thought the exact same thing when I watched it. Uh, that that was improvised because Thorndike goes like ha ha, <laughs> and then they cut away. That's fun. Uh, outside, Herbie pulls up with a giant bow on his hood. He's taking Jim and Carol on their honeymoon. And away they ride into the wilds of San Francisco. And that is the end of Herbie's first adventure. Herbie's got to go to therapy, I think. Definitely. Yeah, he needs to go talk to somebody. He needs to work out some problems. <laughs> he needs anger management issues. He needs abandonment issues. He's got all sorts of things. Obsessive compulsive. I mean, he's got some real <laughs> love issues. Yeah, control. Yeah. Control problems. They sure get married quick in these movies. Yeah, I yeah, thought that too. I had forgotten that they got married I did in the 60s. I did and was 60s. like, wow, that is that is quick. The summer of love. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's San Francisco. Well, it's that time, boys. It's time to rate this movie. And we do it using our unique rating system. Robert, what's the scale this week? Our scale this week is cups of Irish coffee. Ah, mm, good watch call. out for them, man. They'll lay you out. Major plot point. Uh, speaking of plot, we're going to start with plot and writing. I'll go to Robert. How many cups of Irish coffee do you give this movie? Um, I, I've been, I've been going back and forth on this one. I'm going to go with a a high three. I almost gave it a four, but the, the third act got a little slow for me and it'll got to be a little too much. Um, that kind of dragged it down, but yeah, we'll go with a three. Okay, we'll go to Michael next. This one's tough for me because I'm also between a three and a four. Uh, I think it could probably have been a little shorter, maybe, cut, cutting out a little bit. But I don't know, all the gags, most of the gags at the end worked for me. So I, I'm, I'm going to go with a, f- I'm going to go with a four, a low four. I'll agree with that. And we'll go straight to Andy. What do you give it? I'm going to go lower than you guys. I'm going to give it a two. I thought um, it was, I mean, it's already ridiculous, the the whole idea. And that's not really what I'm kind of knocking it for. I'm just knocking it for some of the other pieces. I mean, that I've already kind of spoke about. And and again, yeah, the the third act, it it really slows down. I think this movie was probably 15 minutes too long. Um, So, yeah, I'm giving it two. I agree with that. We'll go to casting and acting. We'll start with Michael. I'll get a four. I mean, I like everybody who's in it. And I mean, they all are well suited to their roles. Aside from uh, the unfortunate Chinese things, uh, everybody, I don't know, everybody does well. So, uh, you know, I'll give it a four. And back to Andy. 
I'm going to go with a high three. I think it, it was, it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. So I'm going to go in the middle of the road. All right. And Robert? I'm going to go with a four as well. I, there was a, yeah, I didn't, I, I'm with Michael. I didn't, there was, it was, it was good. No complaints. I mean, yeah, I think I'm inclined to agree with you guys. I'll say four as well. Good at production value, and I will start with this. I I love a lot of the production on this movie. I mean, you got to give the drivers credit and the, all the car gags, the matte paintings, the setting, the aesthetic of it all. The music is all good. I think that, you know, some of the green screen looks bad now, but that was common from there, but they used it a lot, so... I'll ding it for that, but I loved all the interior work. I mean, like we said, all that stuff is great. So high four and Robert. Um, I'm going to agree with you on all those fronts. Almost gave it a five, but the green screen stuff uh, took away. And it's not that I think that, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a sign of the times that it was tough to do green screen, but even some of it was, there was one shot where they're um, in the end with the cars coming apart where the, the car's clearly not as almost floating above the ground. <laughs> they just didn't get the angle quite right on the green screen. So yeah, yeah it's going to be a four for me. Andy. I'm going to go with a four as well. I mean, it was no freaky Friday racing kind of production at the end there, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to go with a four and Michael. I'll go to a four as well. I mean, it was super ambitious for its time. I, would guess uh and like these disney special effects movies were like the big special effects you know big deals of their day but you know there's some stuff that hasn't aged well so uh, yeah four okay we'll stay with you michael entertainment value for this how many cups of irish coffee do you give it i'll give it a four i mean it's herbie after all there are there i mean there are i would there are things i would nitpick uh things about its pace things kind of inconsistent tone at times that's kind of weird but you know it's fun robert yeah i loved it for the first two acts and then the third act i was just kind of like it was just basically just the whole race and it turned into this, this wacky gags for the whole third act um so i'm gonna go with a uh, high three i think right i mean i agree with you all that yeah, I, and you know, halfway through this, I was like, "Am I going to give this a five, just like I give a Swiss Family Robinson?" Because I am entertained. You know, it's not an overall ranking, but uh, it went on too long, so I'll say four. And we will end with Andy. Yeah, at the in my non-spoiler review, I said I love this movie until a point, and I think that's going to knock it down to a three for me. I mean, there was parts that I really enjoyed, uh, then. As as Jim's character just got become more and more of a jerk, and the movie just kind of started dragging, it just kind of really bummed me out in a way. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna go with a high three. Yeah, it's so intense. I mean, gosh. Yeah, Jim, it really does. Yeah, gives a little too much of a heel turn. Yeah. All right. Well, let's punch this into our computer that wore tennis shoes. Robert, what did we give the love bug to start off this Herbie? Bonanza. The Love Bug came in at a score of 3.63, which puts it at number six overall. That surprises me, but I guess yeah, not after watching it. Yeah. 
So it did better than Tron for us. Which better than Tron. It's hmm. interesting. Came in just below Rocketeer at a 3.65. Then that again. It's sitting in the top four. <laughs> oh, wow. So uh, we have given it our stamp. Michael, what did Leonard Malton have to say about the love bug? Uh, you know what? I couldn't find a Leonard Malton quote about love bug. I was shocked. In his, in his book, The Disney Films, I thought I would definitely find something but he just kind of offhandedly mentions it that is really shocking say it that says shocking, like you know yeah. it's a special effects comedy and doesn't like really say anything pro or con hmm leonard call us leonard we need tell you. us what you think yeah. we need to know us the line. <laughs> that would be great to get leonard malton on here <laughs> <laughs> i would love Freak. love it yeah so this launches off a series that we're tackling and uh, like I mentioned it before, this was a series that Jeff has been pushing from the inception of this podcast. He's been wanting to do the Herbie series. So, Jeff, for our next Herbie movie, what do we have? Well, have you all, I mean, we've just watched the first one. Are you all dying to know what happens to uh, Jim and Carol and their marriage? Yes. Too bad. Oh, no. we're not going to deal with that. We're just going with Herbie. It will never be mentioned again. <laughs> what? Are you? Oh, God. <laughs> we are going further into the world of Herbie with Herbie Rides Again. And as I have mentioned, this one was on heavy rotation in the Crawford household. Not because of its relative quality. Nope. Just because of... When you're a kid and you get something on tape, that's what you watch. And I think I was pretty obsessed with cars. So, I mean, I, I still want to know what was on the VHS because I feel like there must have been something before that that was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it was a ducking disaster with Donald Duck or something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Ducking <laughs> um, <Lucky> disaster. <laughs> I want to challenge you all for the next episode. I mean, we kind of have jumped into this, but uh, I, I'm thinking about that. This next movie will be the center of a Disney cinematic universe. And I want to challenge you all to uh, think of trees of the Herbie cinematic universe. It seems like this time we've kind of come up with the uh, Tennessee uh, backstory Disney plus one. So uh, make sure you come with your best pitch at the end of Herbie rides again, because it, it is a nexus and Andy, you are going to be thrilled who the heavy is in Herbie rides again. That's all I'm going to say about it. Okay. Can't wait. Somebody you've seen I'm, before. I'm excited. I'm excited. It's been a long time since I've seen this one. I, I, I actually, I, I don't remember anything about it. I remember oh. everything. I can't so, wait I mean, to yeah. talk about I was, it. <laughs> it was on a VHS. We watched it some, but it, I like, I have no memory of it though. You were too, so, too busy uh, watching Splash be, as a child. <laughs> Being forced was to four. watch Holly Hop Noodle. Hop Noodle, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what he's right. watching. <laughs> uh, as always, Todd Naprick is doing his thing with our graphics. Why don't you get him loose with your brand and see what exciting new concepts he can cook up for you? Todd Naprick at bindandgraphics.com. You can check him out on Upwork. He knows how to make you look good. Todd. Man, that Swiss Family Robinson graphic. Come on, people. Mm. Just just get in touch with Todd. So that wraps it up for us. Anything else to say about Herbie before we continue to Herbie, boys? 
we got, yeah, we have a, no pun intended, a long road ahead of us. I'm, I'm so. so excited. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to this next one. Like I said, I'm, I, I know who the villain is. Oh, all right. So, uh, so. From all of us to all of you, we wish you well. We will see you next month for Herbie Rides Again. Take care. We are mighty Redfield, our mama hurt here. All your sons and daughters hail to me, Redfield College of Technology. And while we hold your banner high, rock, rock, we shout your praises to the sky, rock, rock, for proud are we a mighty Redfield.